prayer, we'll dig into Ephesians chapter 2. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So by way of quick review, this letter was written, again, it's a letter. Letters are written are typically very exhortive and very instructional. They typically start off with what we believe and how we, then how we behave. Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, a church he had pastored for, for several years, probably most believe about three years. It's now about 10 years later, and word has gotten back to him of, of the, they're becoming more like the world. And Ephesus was a city that was very wealthy, uh, very idolatrous, and very caught up in sexual immorality. Uh, their greatest uh, feature of the city was the temple to the goddess Diana back in Acts 19. When Paul came, you know, they went into the streets and cried out, great is the goddess Diana for two hours long because he had attacked the false idolatry. They made little statues. One of the ways they made a lot of money, they made these little silver statues of Diana that people would b- come and buy and take home to worship. Uh, it's tragic. And so this is the city he's writing this letter to. Very, very wealthy, very idolatrous, very much caught up in sexual immorality. Sounds like California. Can I get an amen? And so as he writes this letter, he begins by focusing what real riches are. If you were here for chapter one, see, we can get caught up thinking that people are wealthy that have a lot of stuff that's all going to burn. Can I get an amen? It's all going to burn. I got a bigger pile of dirt than you do, right? It's all stuff that doesn't, isn't going to matter in eternity, but we will focus more on stuff and equate that to riches. And Paul made it very clear where true riches come from. If you were here in chapter one, um, I titled it our riches in Christ. And we saw so clearly how rich we are in the Lord and true riches have nothing to do with stuff and everything to do with what we have and who we are in Christ. Talked about the 11 benefits of being a Christian or being saved. Number one, you're blessed, you're chosen, you're predestined, you're adopted and accepted. These are works of the Father. Even adopted into God's family. God chose you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't choose us because we're good. He chose us because He's good. Can I get an amen? Then we saw the work of the Son. Redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, and given an inheritance. You know what? I got the, we got the best 401k going. It's called heaven. Amen. We're going to close our eyes on earth and open them up in glory. Man, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to heaven. And I'm so thankful I'm forgiven. How about you? Man, I'm so glad I've been forgiven. I'm so glad I've been redeemed. The price has been paid to redeem a sinful, redeem a sinful man like me back to a right relationship with Almighty God. Those are true riches. And then finally, not only the work of the Father, the work of the Son, but we saw the work of the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed and assured of heaven. We've been sealed. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of us, and now we have the promise of eternal life. So we saw that true riches really have nothing to do with uh, anything we possess. Anything we can possess, if it can be lost, it's not really riches. Amen? And so then he went on to talk about uh, who we were before we knew Christ and how our lives have changed since. And guys, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, that who we we were before we knew Christ and, and now the riches that we have in Him the praises and the glory and the honor that we can bring to him because of what he has done for us. If you were here last week, I told the message before Christ and in Christ. Before you knew, came to know Christ, your condition outside of him was you were wandering aimlessly. You guys remember that from last week? The word there is meander. And that's the world. Do we live in a world right now that just seems to be wandering around looking at stuff that doesn't matter? Can I get an amen to that? 
And there's just no answers, there's no hope, they're all aimless. Whatever the latest thing that just came down becomes the, the, the important thing for the week, and then it goes away and they're chasing after something else. And that was all of us. And the three influences we saw that impact us are the world, Satan, and the flesh. I just read an article two days ago uh, from, from a Christian group, it's a Pew study, they call it, and there are less people going to church right now in our country than ever. And they're falling away, and they're mainly falling away in the millennial group, in the younger people. Older people continue to go, but that next generation is being lost. Is there any question why that is? They've been taught since the day they started school that we came from, you know, from monkeys, right? They, they, they believe in the whole evolution thing. They've also been challenged, what's been challenged is the Word of God. They elevate science above the word of God as if they're against each other when we know that there's nothing more scientific, no more scientific book in the world than the Bible. Can I get an amen to that? But see, they've been attacked. Then a marriage has been attacked. Gender's been attacked. Everything the word of God teaches has been attacked to where they interview young people and they go, yeah, I grew up going to church. I just don't believe that anymore. They go to college, a lot of colleges, and their faith's being attacked. And we live in a world today, unfortunately, that people wander aimlessly and they're chasing after whatever that new thing that comes down the pipe. But you know what, guys? It's not, even though it's the colleges and the schools and the world we live in today, ultimately it's, it's on us. Can I get an amen to that? Because we know the truth and we should be unashamed of it and we need to quit hiding our light under a bushel. Can I get an amen to that? And especially our own children need to be raised to be taught the truth so they can know what they believe and why they believe it and they can stand up against the lies that they're going to encounter when they leave our homes. Now the good news is, before Christ, we were under the influence of the world. Our lives were headed for destruction. We had no direction. But if you remember last week, there were two key words right in the middle of that chapter. Who remembers what it was? But God. Remember, but God. We were wandering aimlessly. We're under the influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our, our lives are headed for destruction, but God. Thank you, Lord. Can I get an amen to that? But God. We were dead, but God. We were separated, but God. We were deserving of God's judgment and wrath, but God. But God loved you. He resurrected you. He is rich in mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And then finally it tells us, not only did God do a work for you, but God is doing a work in you. Do you know that God's at work in your life right now? The Bible says that you are his poem, right? You're his work of art, and he's doing a work in you. So that brings us now to the second half of chapter 2. And I titled the message, Brought Near by the Blood. Brought Near by the Blood. In the Old Covenant, the only way anybody could ever enter into the Holy of Holies, it was only the high priest, only on the Day of Atonement, and when he would come in, he could only come in if he had the blood of the Lamb. So he could only come near if he had the blood of the Lamb. And he would come with the blood of the lamb and he would sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the Ark of the Covenant. So if he did not have the blood and he came in, he would be struck down dead. And so this veil was there and we could only come near by the blood. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, through his shed blood, the veil's been torn and we can all come near always. Can I get an amen? But we can only come near if we've been washed in the blood. Amen? See, the world has no relationship with God. The world is an enemy of God. But when we're born again, because of the blood of the Lamb, you and I can now come near. Thank you, Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? So, brought near by the blood. Again, we saw the riches in Christ, our position in Christ, 
uh, who we are in Christ, and now we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, our position in Christ, how does that impact us? I told you that 39 times in this little letter, it either says, in Him or in Christ. In Him, in Christ. All over the letter. Because none of these promises apply if you're not in Him. None of these riches are found except in Christ. They're not found in the world. They're not found in good works. They're not found in being spiritual. They're not found in religion. They're found in Christ. Amen? And now we're going to see this morning, in Christ, what do we have in Christ? First of all, Jesus is our source of forgiveness. He provides redemption for sin. He redeems us. So, first of all, Christ redeems us. We must never forget what we've been delivered from. We must never forget who we were apart from the Lord. When people in the world act like the world, we shouldn't be surprised. When people who don't know God act like they don't know God, we shouldn't be surprised. But we as believers should be different. And so, first we're going to see that Jesus is our source of forgiveness. We're also going to see He's our source of fellowship. You know, Jesus didn't just die on the cross for us, which was amazing by itself, but He also, through His shed blood on the cross, not only forgave us, but now we can have fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. Amen? What is it that we have in common? It's the cross. It's Jesus. Amen? And because of the cross, you and I are closer to each other You've heard me say it many times. People say the blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. Amen? Because when we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. And so Jesus is our source of forgiveness, but He's also our source of fellowship, first and foremost, with the Father. We cannot have a relationship with the Father apart from coming through the Son. Amen? We've talked about this. You cannot pray to the Father apart from the Son. So people who are praying to God, but don't know Jesus, might as well be yelling down a well. Amen? Because we can only come to the Father through the Son who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so it's through Jesus that we have, He's the source of forgiveness, He's our source of fellowship with the Lord and with each other. And then finally, He's our sure foundation. See, Jesus is the rock upon which it is all built. Amen? The Bible's going to talk about this morning, He is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone is that, that first stone that is laid upon which all the foundation rests. And if you pull that cornerstone out, the whole building crumbles. And guys, if we take Jesus out of Christianity, and that sounds crazy, but there are people doing that today. They've got churches with seven steps to financial freedom and three ways to overcome your anger and you know, all this other stuff that they preach, and they leave Jesus out of the message. I have pastors who tell me that the crucifixion isn't that important and the resurrection isn't that important. You know what? They're not pastors. They're not Christians if they believe that. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. It's why I don't like to talk about God as much as I like to talk about Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Because I believe in God, obviously, but the gods of this world, they can use God's name to mean anything. But guys, we want to point him to Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead, because there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. So, let's begin there looking at, brought near by the blood. We're going to see our, Jesus is our source of forgiveness, our source of fellowship, and then he is our sure foundation. Man, the Bible's good stuff, isn't it? I get fired up because I spend 30 hours looking at this stuff and it's coming out of me by the time I get up here. <laughs> can you tell? You know, it just becomes such a part of you, you can hardly stand it. All right, let's begin there in verse 11. 
Therefore, whenever you see therefore, you ask, what's it there for? In light of the workmanship he has done in us, in light of the fact that we are his work of art, in light of the fact that, again, uh, we're his poem that he is telling, that we are his treasured possession, he says, therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh. Paul wants to remind the Ephesian believers where they came from. That there was a time that they did not know Jesus. There was a time when they were unbelievers, they were Gentiles, walking in the flesh, living according to their own flesh, with no knowledge of God. And we need to be reminded of that. Now, I I think there's many reasons why we need to be reminded. First of all, it keeps us humble. Can I get an amen to that? And as Christians, we should be humble, broken, and desperate, never self-righteous and arrogant. Amen? But how does the world look at, the, at Christians sometimes? Bunch of self-righteous, arrogant people who point their fingers at others and think they're better than everybody else, and that should not be so. Can I get an amen to that? So we need to remember where we came from. There before the grace of God goes I when I look at every unbeliever. Amen? And we truly are one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. So all of us should remain in that place of recognizing the grace of God and the mercy of God have been poured out upon us and who we were apart from Christ. Amen? So he's reminding them. Paul doesn't want them to forget that they were born into a position of sin and separation from God. He's used the term Gentiles in the flesh. They were once under the control of their flesh, subject to the control of carnal appetites and pleasures. Here's the reality. We talked about it last week. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we battle with fleshly desires. I mean, you know, our flesh wants things that we, that we know in, our, in the spirit are wrong. Can I get an amen to that? And the flesh doesn't care. The flesh is very selfish. Amen? The flesh wants what it wants and does not worry about the consequences that will follow. And your flesh will never, ever, ever be satisfied. Can I get an amen to that? There's not enough you can feed your flesh where it's going to stop being hungry. It's always going to want to do more sinful and ungodly things. That's why the Bible tells us we must put the flesh to death daily. Amen? Get up in the morning, dude, you got to die today. Amen? Look in the mirror and recognize that the flesh has to die. And he's reminding them that you once walked according to the flesh. So when you look at the world around you and you see them walking in their flesh, that's you apart from Christ. Amen? And you know what they need? They need Jesus, amen? And we need to pray for them, and we need to reach out to them in love. And we need to, again, not be self-righteous and arrogant. You know, somebody gives you a gift, you you, you shouldn't be arrogant about it, amen? If somebody blesses you, you shouldn't be arrogant, you should be thankful, and you should say, oh, there's a gift for you too. Let me bring you there. And so he's reminding them. We as Christians should remember that we've been delivered, and it should produce hearts of humility and repentance, and gratitude. How often do we thank the Lord for what He did for us? I don't think it's enough. Can I get an amen? I mean, we should begin every day, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming me. Thank you, Lord, that even though you know every wicked thing about me, everything I've ever done or thought, thank you for still loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for suffering uh, so that I don't have to. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for 
preparing a place for me in heaven. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit to walk with me and I'm never alone and you'll never leave me nor forsake me. Guys, we don't thank him enough. And we need to be reminded to thank him. Can I get an amen to that? And we should have hearts of gratitude and thankfulness for the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God. But notice what he says there. You were in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Called the uncircumcision. Who called them uncircumcision? Who called them that? The Jews. The Jews had a covenant between God and man that they were to be circumcised as an outward statement of the covenant between the children of Israel and Almighty God. It would be a constant reminder to that man, to his wife, to his family, of that covenant between them and the Lord. And they looked at everybody who was outside of that covenant and called all of them the uncircumcision. You remember when David fought Goliath, right? You hear me reference that story a lot because thank you for, you know, I'm glad my parents named me David. Can I get an amen to that? But David comes into the camp and everybody's shaking and everybody's hiding and Goliath's coming out 40 days and 40 nights. I defy the army, sit down here, you know. And who is a God who will, you know, deliver you out of my... And here's this mentality and everybody's shaking in their boots and David, teenage boy, dropping off cheese for his brothers, looks down and sees Goliath and what does he say? Who is this what? I'm circumcised Philistine that comes against my God. See, to them, circumcision meant in covenant with God uncircumcised men outside of the covenant with God. And he said, this is who you were. You were uncircumcised in the flesh. You had no covenant with God. You had no relationship with God. This is who you were. Guys, I'm so thankful. And at the same time, I have to confess, I don't fully grasp it. And I got saved at four and a half years old in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class. And praise God for Sunday school. Can I get an amen to that? And praise God for Sunday school teachers but I don't know what it's like to be an adult and not know God, and I can't even imagine what it's like. How do you get up and go to, the work, go to work every day not knowing God? How in the world do you live in this world not knowing God? Some of you got saved later in life, and you have a better understanding of what that's like. But he's reminding these Gentiles, he's reminding these Ephesian believers, this is who you once were. You were in the flesh. You didn't know God. You had no relationship with Him. And he's reminding them of that. It was a term of contempt and disdain by the Jews for the Gentiles, whom they referred also to as Gentile dogs. They referred to them as Gentile dogs. And again, the Jews were circumcised, but only in flesh by hands. You know, circumcision, and please follow this with me if you can a little bit here. If I had to come with a modern day comparison, I would say baptism. And here's what I mean by that. When we get baptized, we're making an outward statement of an inward commitment. Can I get an amen to that? It's an outward statement of an inward change. Because, you know, in the new covenant, there's really two rites, if you will. It's, it's the Lord's table and baptism. Those are two things that are talked about. And one is remembering the cross and one is being identified with the cross, being identified with his resurrection. It's a public profession of faith. And circumcision was something done outwardly with hands that was showing their commitment to the Lord and their, their covenant with God. And now modern day, it would be like if we walked around to people that weren't saved, you unbaptized, right? You uncircumcised. You haven't been baptized, have you? you know, and that mentality that can come. But here's the reality. 
There were people that were circumcised that didn't really have a covenant with God, and there have been people who were baptized that don't have a covenant with God. Can I get an amen to that? See, the outward statement is important, but what's really important is the circumcision of the heart, the change of the heart, the transformation of who I am on the inside. I don't put my faith on outward rituals. I put my faith in an inward relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? And so you see the transformation and the difference here, but he's letting them know you once were outside of covenant with God. You once were seen as Gentile dogs. You guys didn't know the Lord. Your lives were aimless. He's told them of all the riches they have, but he's reminding them of who they were. Again, not outward markings that are important, but an inward transformation. And again, a circumcision of the heart. And again, sadly, uh, when we come to this portion of the text, at this time, there are many who had been circumcised in the flesh, but had no relationship with the Lord. Uh, the word uncircumcised, most of the converts in the Ephesian church in their flesh were outside of the Lord's covenant promises. And the Jewish derogatory term for Gentiles, again, uh, was just something that was considered you to be less. It was interesting when I was talking to the rabbi uh, who we're going to be joining, moving in with, he said to me, I said, well, we have people that are Jewish that have given their life to Jesus to go to our church. And I said, I know a lot of Jewish leaders. He goes, well, do you consider them Jews or Christians? I said, both. Amen? Amen. Jewish by heritage, Christian by, by salvation. He goes, we would say they're Jewish no more. They're just Christians. We don't count them as Jewish anymore. And I'm like, wow, okay. We're going to have some conversations being that rabbi. I'm looking forward to it. But guys, don't put your faith in outward markings or outward religion. There needs to be a transformation inwardly in your heart. Can I get an amen to that? But he's reminding them of who they once were. Verse 2, or the second verse, or verse 12, excuse me. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Wow, remember who you were. See, in the old covenant, circumcision was a part of that covenant. And the old covenant was the great covenant between God and the children of Israel, and then those who would follow after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now we're under the new covenant, and he's letting them know reminding them who you were. You were without Christ. I can think of nothing more tragic to say about somebody than they are without Christ. You don't, you didn't know Jesus. You had no relationship with the Lord. You were living life on your own, apart from Him. But not only were you without Him, you had no knowledge of the Messiah, you were without hope, there was no atonement for your sin, there was no assurance of a pardon, there was no hope of eternal life, you were condemned, you were walking in darkness, and then he says you're aliens. You're aliens from, the people have been looking for the aliens. They're all around us. <laughs> because we're either friends of God or an enemy of God. We're either new creations in Christ or we're aliens. Amen? We're separated from Him. He says, you're aliens from Israel, strangers for the covenants of the promise. Are you a stranger to God or a friend of God? We're either friends of God or enemies of God. Does, do you know Him or do you know about Him? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? He's exhorting. Remember, he's writing this to Ephesian believers. And he's reminding them again of who they were before they came 
to know Christ. They were Christless, they were hopeless, they were friendless, they were homeless. Heaven's my home, how about you? The real definition of homeless for me is a spiritual homeless. I don't care if you live in a hundred million dollar mansion. If you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus, you're homeless spiritually. Amen? You have no home. Heaven is our home. You're godless. You have no access. You're separated from God. You're walking in darkness. You're living a life in condemnation from which only faith in Christ can deliver you. So the state of unbelievers today is they've rejected the cross. They're hopeless. They're godless. And they're walking in darkness. They're spiritually blind. Again, we're seeing a mass of people leaving the church. But I would say this. There's a lot of people that have been playing church that won't play church anymore, but the real believers aren't going anywhere. Can I get an amen to that? If you truly know Christ, if you truly love the Lord, you can't be anywhere but in fellowship with Him. People trusting in their own morals, their own former religious beliefs, their own good works. I have my own faith. I just have my own faith. You know, me and God, we just have a relationship. You know, we have an understanding. You know, I, and I, I have a Someone close to me that says that to me often. Me and Jesus got an understanding. I'm like, what, that you don't believe in him and you're going to hell? Is that the understanding? Because the way you live your life does not show any relationship with him. Well, come on, man. This is my older brother. And come on, man. Well, you know, okay, Pastor Dave, why do you got to be like that? Because, bro, I'm worried about your eternity. Amen? I love you. I care about you. And you can't live the life you're living and totally reject God and think it's okay. It's not okay. Amen? Now, I don't want to be self-righteous, but my heart breaks for people that don't know Jesus. And my heart, it brings me to tears thinking about people I love spending an eternity separated from God. And Paul, as he writes this letter, is reminding him, that's where you were. And by the way, that's where the world around you still is. Sad is a world without a Savior. Amen? People are living life without us, thinking there's no Savior. That's why they're trying to fix this planet. Amen? That's why they're worried. We might go up 100 to 1 degree in the next 50 years if we don't spend $10 trillion trying to stop it. it guys, that, again, good stewards, we don't worship the earth, we worship the Creator. Amen? And people are so whipped up about things that are perishing. Sadder still is the state of those who rejected the Savior. It's sad enough to have no Savior. Sadder still is the one who has a Savior and they reject Him. They shake their fist at him and want nothing to do with him. Sinful carnal man lives, feels, and acts as if there's no God. Doesn't worship him. When you tell people you worship God, some people go, you worship him? What are you doing? Man, you go, you go to church all the time. What do you do at church? So we worship the Lord. You worship the Lord? Yeah. Well, that's crazy. You worship. Dude, you worship your job. You worship your car. I've seen you out there parking at 47 spots out in the middle of nowhere so no one scratches it. <laughs> That's your idol out there. We all worship something. Can I get an amen to that? We worship our physique. We worship our flesh. We worship whatever. What a tragic world it is with no Savior, but even still is one that has a Savior and rejects Him. And that's the Ephesians all around them. And he's letting them know it's tragic. Guys, we live in a city that's very unchurched. And most people here want nothing to do with God. And they have a Savior, but they've rejected Him. Guys, we're here to introduce Him to Jesus. We're here to be salt and light. Lord, give us wisdom in how to do that. Amen? And continue to pray for them. Carnal man 
Again, lives, acts, and feels as if there's no God, doesn't worship Him, acts without reference to His will, puts no confidence in His promises, and does not fear His judgment. There's the big one right there. We live in a world today that has no fear of God. Amen? The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You know why people will live lives so contrary to the Word of God? They will curse His name. They will mock His name. They will reject His creation. They will mock how He created us. They will try to redefine marriage that He created because there's no fear of God. The Bible, again, says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So if there's no fear of God, there's no wisdom. And that's why we wonder, boy, these people are acting like idiots. It's because they are without Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? That's all of us. There's no wisdom apart from the Lord. Compared to Jesus, we're all idiots. Can I get an amen to that? He's greater. He's, he's wiser. He's the answer. He's our hope. He's reminding the Ephesian believers, guys, this is who you once were, and these are the people you're surrounded by. Don't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Man without God is without hope, without promise, without peace, and without life. Next time you interact with an unbeliever, Treat them with kindness and love and grace because they have no hope. And they don't have the promise that we have. And they don't have the peace that we have. And they don't have life. Amen? Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundant. Amen? So we shouldn't be surprised again. Why is the world so angry? Why is the world so bitter? Why is the world such a mess? Because it's living outside of the Lord. It has no hope, no answers, no peace, no promise, no life. Guys, we have it. We need to share it with them. Amen? And do it in a loving and a gracious way. Never self-righteously. But notice what he said. Here's who you were. But he said, strangers from the concepts, having no hope, without God in the world. But look at this. But now, in Christ Jesus, you were once afar off, have been brought near by, what does it say? The blood of Christ. He said, look, that's who you were. That's where the world is. This is where you were. You were apart. You had no hope. You had no life. You had no promise. You, your, your life was a mess. You had, you had no hope. And then Jesus came. And you were once afar off. And you had no relationship with God. And there was a Savior in the world, but you had rejected Him. And then Jesus died on the cross. And through His shed blood, you've been taken from afar off to bring brought near to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Can I get an amen to that? Jesus Christ is my best friend. I love my wife so much it hurts, but I love him more. Amen? I love the Lord. I never stop talking to him. I have intimate fellowship with him all day, every day, everywhere I go. Everything I do is in light of who he is in my life. I, he, he, there's a Holy Spirit filter that before the words, hopefully before they get out of my mouth, can I get an amen to that? And that there's that relationship with the Lord that we have. We've been brought near to him. I can't imagine my life without him for five seconds. So I really can't imagine living this life without him at all. You know what it does? It breaks my heart for unbelievers. It breaks my heart for people that don't know God. And instead of being shocked by them worshiping Mother Earth, I'm not surprised because they don't know the Heavenly Father. Amen? You know what? If they come to know him, they won't talk about 500 genders anymore. Amen? If they come to know Him, they won't kill babies and call it a choice. Amen? If they come to know Him, they'll understand what marriage is really all about. If we come to know Him, we'll worship the Creator and not the creation. Can I get an amen to that? 
And he's exhorting them, you were brought near. You were once aliens, now you're citizens. You were once strangers, now you're friends. You were once hopeless and godless, worldly and condemned. And now having the hope of glory, you're seated in the heavenlies in Christ. You've been redeemed. You've been brought near by the blood, not by your good works, not by your religious pursuits, not by your moral behavior. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but... So it's nothing else. It's not my good works. It's not my church attendance. It's not even my baptismal certificate. It's not my baby dedication. It's not anything that I've done. Guys, I didn't, I'm not near to the Lord because of what I've done. I can be near to the Lord because of what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. And nothing less, nothing more, nothing else. Can I get an amen to that? And the cross is under attack today. And so is the resurrection. I love God's math. One cross plus three nails equals four given. Can I get an amen to that? And it's so true. One cross plus three nails equals four given. And that's who we are in Christ. Again, the holy, the high priest could only come near to the mercy seat by the blood that was offered at sacrifice. Without the blood, he could not come near. And praise God that by his blood, we come near. Now we, though the work of Christ on the cross through the work of Christ, can, can enter the very presence of Almighty God. Remember I said the veil was torn, and I love that. That is so significant. That veil into the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go was torn from top to bottom because God tore it. Can I get an amen to that? He reached down and ripped that open, and now we can enter into His presence. And I think sometimes we take that for granted. Amen? You know what that means? That means I can have intimate fellowship with God on the freeway on the way to my next sales call. Amen? I can have intimate fellowship with God. I can pray to Him. I can talk to Him. I can worship Him. I can be in His presence. Why, why did the Jews today, and we love the Jewish people, can I get an amen? But why do they go to the wailing wall to pray? Does anybody know? Because it's the closest point to where the old Holy of Holies once was, where the ark had once been, and so they try to get as physically close to the place where the Holy of Holies once was, where the ark once had been. And guys, we don't go try to get near a wall that's close to the place to where the veil had been torn to the Holy of Holies that had once been there. We get to walk into the Holy of Holies and have intimate fellowship with the Lord. Guys, we should never take that for granted. If we recognize what we're doing when we pray, we should pray more. Amen? We recognize who we are in Christ, that we have the privilege to enter into his presence through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We can have intimate fellowship with him. We can enter into intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. Thank you, Lord. So, first of all, brought near by the blood, we see that Jesus is our source of forgiveness. Secondly, he's our source of fellowship. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Jesus broke down the wall between God and man and between Jews and Gentiles. See, when you went into the synagogue to worship, there was a wall. And the inner part of that wall was only for Jewish men. Outside that wall was women and any Gentiles who came to worship. So not only was there a veil where only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, there was a wall that segregated Jews from Gentiles and men from women. 
And Jesus not only opened the veil so we could enter into, into intimate fellowship with him, but he tore down the wall so now Jews and Gentiles can worship him together if they've given their life to the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? And men and women are no longer separated. And the Jews and Gentiles are no longer separated. You know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. We're all one in Christ. We're not Jews and Greeks and Gentiles anymore. We're believers and unbelievers. We're Christians and, and, and non-Christians. Amen? We're born again or we're not. We have a relationship with the Lord or we don't. Amen? He tore down that inner wall. He turned enemies into brothers. You know why? You know why we're brothers, we're sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ? Because we have the same atonement, the same hope, we belong to the same family, and we're headed to the same heaven. Amen? So when you got the Lord in common, it tears down that wall. Now, in the end times, in some of the future prophecy, God's got special things He's going to do with Israel, and Israel is still God's chosen people, and praise God for that. Can I get an amen? But that being said, they don't get saved a different way than we do. Amen? Nobody gets saved a different way than anybody else. We all get saved the same way, saved the same way and it's through Jesus Christ. And look, you know how pro-Israel I am, but Israel at large right now has scales on their eyes and have rejected Jesus. I've been to the Wailing Wall, and if you go down there with a cross on, they make you take it off. They view that as sacrilegious. They reject the cross of Calvary. No, God's not done with them. We keep praying for them. Amen? But again, don't hold on to your heritage. Hold on to Christ. Amen? And, I, and some of you are going to disagree with this, and please don't take offense to this, but a lot of people say, well, I'm twice blessed because I'm Jewish and a Christian. I don't think you get any more blessed either way. I think being saved is a blessing enough. Thank you, Lord. Amen? All of us had scales on our eyes, and they were removed, and now we're saved. Can I get an amen to that? All saved the same way. Verse 14, it says there that Jesus is our peace. There's no peace apart from Jesus. Amen? You've all seen the old bumper sticker, N-O Jesus, N-O peace. K-N-O-W Jesus, K-N-O-W. So no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Amen? And I've talked to people and I'm sharing with them and they'll get all fired up and I'll go, bro, you can't have peace because you don't know the peace. What do you mean I don't have peace? Yes, you don't have peace, bro. And they get all fired up and they went, you know, bro, you don't have any peace, man. How dare you tell me I don't have, bro, you don't. There's no peace apart from the Prince of Peace. Amen? We can have peace in the midst. Peace is not the absence of war. Real peace is right standing with the God of the universe, the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Amen? But people get all fired up because they don't know the Lord. So that middle wall is a reference again to that partition in the temple and the Gentiles. There was a warning that said if you trespassed into the court of Jews, your, your, the response was in your immediate, quick, and certain death. It said on the wall, if you're not a Gentile man and you walk into the inner court, you will be struck down dead on the spot. Isn't it good that wall's gone? Can I get an amen to that? It's been torn down. It's now broken down. Again, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, we all have equal access to God, but that access can only come through Jesus Christ. By the way, Paul's writing this epistle from prison. You remember that? And he's telling him, you guys are so rich. He's in prison. He's tell but you know why he's in prison? 
He's in prison because he was falsely accused by the Jews of taking a Gentile into the inner court. He was falsely accused that he brought a Gentile into the inner court, so they threw him in jail, and now he's letting them know in this letter that he's writing from jail where he's falsely accused of doing something that doesn't matter to God because the veil's been torn and the wall's been taken down. Amen? Aren't you glad we don't have to climb over a wall to get to Jesus? Amen? Aren't you glad that it's been torn down? Paul makes it clear it's not getting into the inner court. It's having a relationship with Jesus. Amen? Jesus in common, we have everything in common. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. He's abolished in the flesh. What does that mean? What did he do in the flesh? There it is. He died on the cross. In his flesh, having gone to the cross, he has abolished the old covenant. He has abolished the veil. He has abolished the wall. He's abolished everything that separated us. Now, he created it in the beginning, and, the, and Israel is God's, was God's and is God's chosen people, and God was using them to be the ones to distribute the truth to a lost and a dying world, amen? But that being said, when he went to the cross, all the old covenant was fulfilled in him. We don't don't bring bulls and goats. We don't sacrifice them anymore. We don't have to go in the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood, amen? Jesus paid it all. So when he went to the cross, that wall came down. And now we don't have Jews and Gentiles anymore when it comes to salvation. We have Christians and unbelievers. We're all one in Christ, amen? Says here he made the two of them one. Broke down the, the division between Jews and Gentiles. The law of the commandments, the source of contention between the Jews and Gentiles is that the Gentiles did not keep the law. Let me clue you in. The Jews didn't keep it either. Can I get an amen to that? How you guys doing with the law? There's, two, there's 600 plus laws I must keep. How you doing? Not too good. You're doing horrible. You can't keep it. We didn't keep it. Jesus died to pay the price. The law shows us we're sinners in need of a Savior. It's not our source of salvation, and it never was. Can I get an amen to that? Now, in the Old Covenant, they kept the law as an act of faith, and they did the sacrifices as an act of obedience, and God blesses that. By faith, they were saved. Amen? But all that was pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus came, all that stopped because he was the fulfillment. Amen? He didn't do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. Gentiles without the law, failing. Jews trying to keep the law, failing. Jesus broke down the wall and we're all one in him. It says there in that verse, in himself. In himself. In himself, in Christ. Again, not in our fleshly heritage. God has no grandchildren. You're not going to heaven because your grandparents uh, were missionaries. You're not going to heaven because your, your uncle was a rabbi. You're not going to heaven because uh, it's not in your heritage. It's in your relationship, your one-on relationship with Jesus. Amen? When we stand before God, we're not going to be wearing any robes. We're not going to be wearing any religious garments. We're going to stand before the Lord, and either we have a relationship with Him or we don't. Can I get an amen? amen. And that is the wall separation. Amen? Knowing God or not knowing Him. And it says, thus making peace. It says at the end of that text, making peace. 
Where there was once strife and contentions, there's now peace. Once we come to know the Lord, the temporal difference are no longer important. We go from being enemies to brothers. Here's the reality. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter uh, you know, how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter uh, your, your affiliations with whatever you affiliate with. None of that matters. Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And we're all one in Christ. Can I get an amen to that? And it's frustrating to me that we have churches, they seg- I, I go to a Scottish Episcopal what, church. We're all one church. Amen? I go to the German Lutheran, you know, first people off the Mayflower church or whatever. And we got this mentality where these churches segregate. There's all one church. And we're all one in Christ. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to have that understanding that it's only Jesus that draws us together. And then it says there in verse 16 that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through what? The what? Through the cross. Therefore putting to death the enmity. Recognizing them both, both Jews and Gentiles, both once alienated from God and each other, but now through the cross reconciled to God and to each other as one body. Here's my prayer. He's watching the live stream. Rabbi Ron, I want you to get saved, bro. (laughs) My prayer is that we'll rub off on them in Jesus' name. And we're going to love them no matter what. Can I get an amen to that? And and because, guys, we're not Jew and Gentile, slave nor free barbarian. We're one in Christ. We're Christians. That's who we are. And that's what we have in common. The cross put to death the enmity, the separation. There needs to be focus on the essential doctrines of faith, not on this battle of secondary issues. It breaks my heart. Why do churches separate themselves? Because of doctrinal differences. You know, Presbyterian means elder-run church. Episcopal means pastor-run church. Did you know that? That's what it means. Episcopal means that's the form of government. And then you have the first congregational church, which means the congregation runs the church. This is what they mean. And then, if anybody could be upset, John the Baptist, take my name off the church. <laughs> I got saved in the Baptist church, amen? And by the way, how come there's never a last Baptist church? It's always the first Baptist church. <laughs> and I got saved in the Baptist church, and praise God for the Baptist church. Can I get an amen to that? But the reality is, everybody fights over, well, we're the, we're the Reformed Theology Congregation of Tulip. And we're, the, and we're the Armenian congregation of... And people are fighting over secondary issues, none of which have any impact on eternity. Amen? Guys, we should be joined together by what we have... Now, if you reject the crucifixion, we've got a problem. If you reject the resurrection from the dead, we've got a problem. If you reject the, the inerrancy of Scripture, we've got a problem. But if you think you should meet on Saturday and we meet on Sunday and we agree on everything else, God bless you. Can I get an amen to that? Well, we, we, don't, we believe you, that drums are from the devil, so you can only have an organ. By the way, Jesus only had an organ. No, he didn't. <laughs> and we can separate over non-essentials. And he said, look, I put you all together. You're all one in Christ. And, and you know what? It harms the cause of Christ because the world sees a Christian church that can't even get along with each other. It breaks God's heart, Amen. 
I tried for years in Santa Cruz. I'm going to try here. But I would say, let's do a group baptism. What if all the churches came together and we all baptized? What if we all went down to the beach? Because all the Calvaries would come. We'd have 10 Calvaries come. We'd have a couple thousand people on the beach. Man, it was a big deal. Why don't you join us? Let's all come. Oh, but we only baptize in the name of Jesus and you do in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we couldn't have a baptism with you. Well, we sprinkle. You guys dunk. We couldn't do that together. And we, dude, are we all one in Christ? Do we all? And no, I could never get them together. How about if we do one Sunday service? Let's go to the football stadium and rent it out and bring all the churches into the football stadium. And you know what? I guarantee you the newspaper will show up. Local news channels will show up. When all the cri- Oh, I don't know if we could do that. Because if they hear you teach, they might start going to your church instead of mine. And I'd say, well, you teach then. Well, I don't know. I don't feel like I can teach in front of that many people. What? Stop it! We're all one in Christ, amen? The wall's been torn down. And we always want to focus on what divides us. And I have people that always want to come up and convert me to their theology and walking by 500 people that don't know Jesus on the way to try to get the pastor to believe in their theology on a secondary issue. Amen? Can you tell us a pet peeve for your pastor a little bit? I mean, because the reality, I'm like, dude, you just came over here and you, you put me in a corner and tried to beat on me for four hours to, to go. And what's that going to do? Let's say I did agree with you. What would that change? By the way, we've been sitting here in this restaurant next to 200 people that don't know Jesus and we haven't talked to any of them because you're trying to convert me. I'm already saved, bro. Amen? And he's saying to them, look, we're all one in Christ. Thank you, Lord. It's the cross. Last point. Verse 18, excuse me. Verse 17, 18. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. For through him we have access by one spirit to the father now i love this because here's the trinity in verse 18 through him who's the him there jesus we have access by one what to who see through jesus by the holy spirit we have access to the father see only when we pray we pray to the father in the name of the son and the power of the holy spirit amen there's one god in three persons, and we can't have access to the Father if you leave out the Son or the Holy Spirit. You can't have a relationship with the Son and not know the Father. You can't have a relationship with the Son and not have the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? And you can't cling to the Spirit if you reject the Savior. You can't have one. You've got to have all of them. You have a relationship with all of them. He said, one body through the cross, putting to death the enmity, he came and preached to those who were afar off and those who were near. Who are those people? Who do you think the afar offs were? Gentiles. And those who were near, who were they? Jews. So he said he came to preach to those who were afar off, the Gentiles, and those who were near, the Jews. And by the way, the answer is the same for both. It's Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. He is the answer. Amen? He is our peace. And praise God for that. Jesus, the Messiah, to both the Gentiles who were afar off and the Jews who were near. And there we see the Trinity at work, that Jews and Gentiles enjoy the same access, the same gospel, the same essential uh, walk that must take place, Jesus in common, everything in common, and no group has greater access than any other group. Let me say that again. I'm not trying to offend anybody. But people will say, well, you know, I'm this, so I have greater access. No, you don't. Did Jesus die for some or did he die for all? Did he desire that none should perish? No, not one? Absolutely. Final point, 
our sure foundation. Look what it says in the last few minutes here. Verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Boy, I like that. Amen? You guys were once enemies of each other. Now you're brothers. You guys were once, he says there, you guys were once foreigners. Now you're not. You're, you're now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're all in the same family. We're all part of the same family, whether our background is Jew or Gentile, slave or free, barbarian or Scythian, we're all one in Christ. It's not who we are in the flesh, but who we are in Christ that matters. By the way, there's no second-class citizens in Christianity, amen? And there's no preferred citizens in Christianity. And, and whatever gift you have doesn't make you uh, a more a super-Christian compared to other Christians. Can I get an amen to that? We're all gifted, we're all called, and we're all going to be judged on how faithful we are with that gift. Notice what it says here. Be careful of this. Having built the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Some have used this for reasons to worship the apostles and the prophets, but that's not what it's talking about. What's the foundation of the apostles and the prophets? What, what is he, what's that talking about? What's that? Jesus. What else? Here's what I really believe he's talking about. The Word of God. What did the apostles and the prophets write? The Word of God. <laughs> you know, the, the, most of the Old Covenant, Old Testament is the major and minor prophets make up most of it. Amen? So the foundation of the Word of God was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amen? But then people will say, oh, the apostles. That's why I pray to the apostles. Uh, read your whole Bible. And it will tell you you don't pray to dead people. And you don't pray to apostles. And whenever anybody bowed to the apostles, they told them to stand up. And when people bowed to angels, they told them to get up. And when they bowed to Jesus, he let them bow. Because he alone is worthy. Amen? He alone is to be worshipped. But notice the foundation was the word of God and Jesus Christ himself. He is the chief cornerstone. See, he's the thing that holds the church together. He's the one that holds the gospel together. He's the one that holds the whole word of God together. Can I get an amen to that? You take Christ out, we've got nothing. That's why we're called Christians. Amen? What literally means little Christ or followers of Christ. You think you are some little Christ? Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I follow him. Amen? Love the Lord. He's the cornerstone. Without Jesus, the whole thing crumbles. Last verse. In whom you also being built. Well, it says, in whom the whole building is fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The whole building is held together, comes together. By the way, it says it grows. The church should be growing continually. Amen? Now, the church isn't the building or the bride of Christ. We're, you know, his bride. We should continually be growing. We've been justified. We're being sanctified till the day we're glorified. Amen? So just as if we've never sinned, we're going to heaven. We're new creations in Christ. And now we're being sanctified. The word's being set apart unto the Lord. We're become, being formed, conformed more into the image of our Savior till the day we get to heaven and we will be perfect in heaven. Not because of what we've done, because of what he did for us. Amen? And so the church is growing and he is the foundation. And guys, that's why a church should never be named after a man. Amen? I think Luther's in heaven going, knock it off. 
Don't call it the Lutheran Church. Stop it. John the ba- don't call it the Baptist Church. Stop it. Don't name the church after me. It's all about Jesus. Chuck Smith, of course, just joking, would say, guys, if I die before the Lord comes back and I go to heaven and you put my name on anything, I'm going to ask the Lord if he'll give me the permission to come back and haunt you. <laughs> of course, he's totally joking. We're not coming back once we get there. Can I get an amen? But the point is made, don't put our name on anything. Put his name on everything. It's all about him. Let's not be divided. Well, we, we, our government is we vote as a, we're congregational. Oh, well, we let the pastor be the spiritual leader. But we have elders that run the church. Let's all divide. I saw a cartoon one time. I'll never forget it. It's a guy on a deserted island. He's got a long beard, and they come to rescue him. There's three huts on the island. And they say, what's the first hut? He goes, oh, that's my house. That's where I live. What's the second one? He goes, oh, that's my church. That's the place I worship. He said, what's the third one? That's the place I used to worship. (laughs) Dude's the only guy on the island and he switched churches. And the reality is we're always going and looking for the place to be perfect. If it was perfect, you ruined it when you showed up. Can I get an amen? We come to fellowship, to worship the Lord together, to minister to one another. Guys, we're all one in Christ. Can I get an amen to that? And I, I want us to have every economic background. I want us to be out, uh, every, you know, everybody's welcome here. Amen? Whatever background they come from, we're all one in Christ. For there to be a solid building, there needs to be a sure foundation that grows together. Guys, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Almighty God lives inside of us, and we will continue to grow as long as we continue to pursue Him. Amen? So in closing, I told you what I was going to tell you, then I told you, and I'll tell you what I told you. Amen? We've been brought near by the blood. Amen? It's our position in Christ, in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Christ, 39 times in this letter. And He is our source of forgiveness. You cannot be forgiven any other way. There's no amount of penance. There's no amount of rosaries you can pray. There's no amount of people you can go confess to. Your forgiveness only comes through Christ. Secondly, our source of fellowship. We have fellowship with God and fellowship with each other because of what Jesus did. Amen? We could have no relationship with God apart from the cross, and we wouldn't have the same intimate fellowship with each other if we did not have the Holy Spirit in common and the cross of Calvary in common. Amen? And then finally, Jesus is our sure foundation, the rock upon which we stand. He is the cornerstone that holds everything together. Without Jesus, there's no church, there's no salvation, there's no forgiveness, there's no promise of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Can I get an amen? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus upon the cross of the Calvary. Of Calvary. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. He willingly suffered so we don't have to. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I pray that we would be united as believers. We have you in common. We have everything in common. May we never take your forgiveness for granted. May it keep us humble, broken, and desperate before you. Lord, I pray also that I thank you, Lord, for the fellowship you've given us. Lord, I love these people in this room. This is my family. It's a family reunion every time we gather together. And the reason that that my love for them is so deep is because You created us in your image and you gave us your Holy Spirit and you knit us together and you made us your bride together. We are your church. We are your family and we have you in common that gives us the supernatural love for each other. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the foundation, that our our faith is not in our good works. Our faith is not in our religious system. 
but our faith is in you and your death on the cross. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Is he worthy to be worshipped? Let's worship.